the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Weekday evenings on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. It's 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. Host Daryl Wood brings you the day's news and trending topics as only he can with a unique blend of conservative opinion, constitutionalism, and thought-provoking analysis. Join the conversation. 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. A daily look at the news in a way you won't hear anywhere else. Tune in to 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. Or stream at PatriotDetroit.com. You are in, in what part of the country? <laughs> Southwest Colorado. Wonderful. How are you picking us up? Oh, I stream you guys on my uh, iPhone every day. Fantastic. Um, I, I am a resident of Sterling Heights, but uh, I frequently come to Southwest Colorado. I am just thrilled to be hearing from you out there in Colorado. Continue to listen, tune in again, and call at your earliest convenience. Godspeed. Run to Win with Daryl Wood, Monday through Friday at 4 p.m. on Faith Talk Detroit. Welcome to the Jewish Hour. I'm your host, Herschel Finn, and we've got a really good show for you today. In this half hour of the show, we'll be interviewing Rabbi Nahum Kaplan from the Education Office, the Jewish Education Office in New York, has written a book called Education Imperative, Guidance to Parents and Educators Based on the Teachings of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. In the second half of the hour, we will be talking about the portion of Nasso, which can be found in the book of Numbers, chapter 5 and following. It's a pretty long portion, but we've got some short insights into it. We've got music, musical music, scattered throughout the show. We've got a great Hasidic story, one which I have never told in 29 years on the air. I have never told this story. You want to stay tuned all the way at the end for that. But before we do anything else, let's go right to the news. Three terrorists were killed in a shootout with Israeli forces near Nablus. It's also known as Shechem. The three belong to the Al-Aqsa Martyrs Brigade terror group. Israeli forces also demolished a bomb lab near the, during the raid. The Israeli Knesset approved the 2023-2024 budget with $140 billion this year and $170 billion next year. Israel's smart. They do budgets every two years. Not like we have like every year over here. We have a budget thing. We have a debt ceiling. What goes on? Turkey arrested 11 locals, that means Turkish citizens, and charged them with spying for Israel. The group was following Iranians doing business in Turkey. 
The Latin American Parliament, which I didn't even know there was a Latin American Parliament, adopted the International Holocaust Authority's anti-Semitism definition. The adoption is significant as it comes from the Congresses of Governments across Central and South America. In some sport news, the Denver Hebrew Day School won Class 1A Basketball Championship that's in Denver, Colorado, while Shelevit, the Orthodox Jewish High School in Los Angeles, won the California Women's Division IV Basketball State Championship. Yay. And finally, Israel lost to Colombia 2-1 to one and tied Senegal 1-all this week in the other 20 World Cup soccer tournament in Argentina. One spectator was ejected from the stadium during the Columbia game for waving a Palestinian flag. And that's the news. Why go to a hospital to get healthy? At Encompass Healthcare, you get the state-of-the-art wound care like in a hospital. The same medicines, the same everything without being in a hospital. Why put yourself at risk of getting a hospital-borne infection? Did you know that last year, one in six people died in America because of infections they got in hospitals? Encompass Healthcare is an outpatient facility. That means you get your wound care treatment and then go home. There are no wait times at Encompass Healthcare like in ERs. Healthcare is personal and works better, faster, and easier. Encompass Healthcare provides a state-of-the-art outpatient facility close to where you live. Call 248-624-9800. That's 624-9800. Auto accident, workman's comp, and most insurance is accepted. Encompass Healthcare's goal is to get you healthy with as little disturbance to your daily activities. Call 248-624-9800. Herschel Finman here. You are listening to the Jewish Hour. We are on the line with Rabbi Nachum Kaplan, who's a uh, world-renowned educator and has written recently a book called The Education Imperative Guidance to Parents and Educators. How are you today, Reb Nachum? Good afternoon. How are you? Uh, Good morning in Detroit. It's no, we're in the same time zone, believe it or not. So the world didn't fall off the edge of the cliff when you get to the Hudson River. No, we're still there. Anyway, so okay, so talking about education, Jews generally are referred to in the in colloquially as the people of the book, and a lot of people think that's because we have like the Bible, but it's really a whole lot more of that, and it may relate to something you know there. The, Eskimos, for example, have like 12 words for snow. In Jew, Judaism, in Hebrew, there's probably like 12 or 15 words for learning and teaching. So with this now, so it seems like education for, I love the title, education for Jews is an imperative. So talk about that, please, Rabbi Kaplan. Well, education is not a process which begins uh, when you actually enter a school, um, formally beginning the educational process. Education begins far before that, years before. The child is learning all the time. And education continues, hopefully, <clears throat> until we take our last breath. We're always educating ourselves, improving ourselves. Uh, that's the general overview. Mm-hmm. Let me in- let me interrupt. Actually, I re- let me interrupt. I heard a story from you, as a matter of fact, that someone went to the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe and said, uh, mazel tov, give me a mazel tov. My son gave birth to a, a boy. When should I start his education? And the previous rabbi said, you're nine months too late. Yes, very much so. 
but without getting into that so much, in addition to that, we have a mitzvah or a divine commandment that we continue learning Torah forever. The Torah is not a process which ever takes a rest and never stops. So we teach the children early on how to learn and how to maneuver their way through holy books. But later on, we follow with the actual learning process. Once the child has the skills, we expect that the young man or young woman will continue learning and studying and familiarizing themselves not just with Jewish texts, but with those things that make them better people. Okay, so why is that, Nahum? Why is there such an emphasis with education among Jews? Well, that's a question one has to ask from the Almighty. This is, uh, we were enjoined right at Sinai that the Mimadet Tamosom, we need to learn and to teach Torah all our lives. And uh, our sages 2,000 years ago translated the word when you shall lie down and when you get up. When you get up means. when you lie down is the end of your days, at the end, and when you get up, will be at the beginning of a new dawn. But all our lives, we need to study and to teach. Okay. So, what, what, the, I remember when the Rebbe first instituted the study of Rambam. So, I was in Kolel, and someone had an idea that they should put together some kind of compendium of all the time that the Rebbe spoke about Rambam. And someone commented, well, it would probably be easier if you put together a compendium of all the times the Rebbe didn't speak about Rambam. So here you have a book about education, and you've called many sources where the Rebbe talked about education. And I'm thinking it probably may have been easier to call sources where the Rebbe didn't speak about education. So can can you capsulize what was the Rebbe's um, philosophy when it came to educating children? Well, as I said, it's not only children. But the Rebbe's general philosophy was that we are all individuals. Everybody learns differently. Everybody's interests are different. You need to find a place where you feel comfortable and challenged learning. A. So every child needs to be dealt with according to his or her abilities to see that he or she become the best person he or she can be. That's A. But the same thing is true with ourselves. We need to continue studying, learning, discovering, and so forth, so that we can become better people. And that's a process which begins and continues all through our lives. Okay. Have have you seen that in schools that you work for something called the the education office, the Chinuch office, the education office, and you've seen quite a few day schools in your time. Do you see that this type of education has been being implemented in Jewish schools? Well, there's another issue, I think, that uh, is paramount for us, that the Rebbe stressed many, many, many times that education is not a process of book and accumulation of skills. It's a matter of impacting one's life. It's a matter of refining ourselves. It speaks to the soul, not just to the mind and the intellect. So our schools, what we try to do in our schools, is not just to teach skills, but to see how those skills and the knowledge that children are imparted 
impacts them personally. That's the bottom line. Bottom line is, so how can you be different tomorrow because you've learned X, Y, and Z? Now, of course, that's a challenging process for an adult, <laughs> for children, doubly so. But still, that's the, the um, imperative, if you wish, to see that the education impacts us, that we are different. We become better people as a result of our learning. <laughs> okay, can I, can I put you on the spot, hopefully? Um, so there's a lesson. One of the first lessons in Talmud that a child learns is that two people come to court, and they're both grabbing onto a garment. And one says, I found it, it's all mine. And the other one says, I found it, it's all mine. And they, may, they each take an oath that, whatever the oath is, we're not going to go there now. And then the, the, tals, the, the garment is divided. Okay, so this is one of the first lessons a kid learns when he's eight, nine years old. Could you give me an example of how such a thing as that can be impactful on a child's life? What would a, what would a teacher, an educator, a parent do with this very basic, and I'm choosing this one because it's one of the first things that kids are learning that would make them to, to fulfill this goal that you're, you're talking about? Or the Schneidmuzzin is taught somewhere around the child's 11th or 12th year, not at a 7-year-old. But at, at that point, there are so many things that we need to stress, and the most obvious is compromise, that there is no such thing as standing your ground without the ability to be able to see somebody else's ground as well. It's basic. Here's are two people who really believe that this particular uh, garment, as it were, uh, is theirs for whatever reason it is. And each one can, can show in their own mind how they are absolutely certain that they're the, the owners of this piece of, uh, of clothing. And yet, at the end of the day, we need to compromise. Now, if we can learn that lesson, then we've learned a great deal. But besides that, we're taught also the value of things, the value of possession and not to take other people's things. There's so many things that come into play when learning this particular mission, this particular passage of the Mishnah. Bravo. That's wonderful. Okay, so um, the primary educator are the parents, and specifically the mother. So what does the, the Lubavitcher Rebbe say about a mother's role in educating her young children? These are the children we're talking about before they go to school. The mother's role is not one that starts when the child is an infant or ends when the child goes off to school. The mother's role is to be a compassionate parent, <clears throat> to be a, a passionate parent, as opposed to sometimes the way many fathers are. And, of course, the role of mother and, and father can sometimes be juxtaposed depending upon personality. But the idea is that the mother teaches the child love, compassion, feeling for others, caring for others, doing whatever you can for others. The father, on the other hand, would teach the child strength and commitment and things of that nature. And that's being done more than anything else by the parents acting out their role, by parents being genuine in what they're trying to teach. And the child picks it up vicariously. And within that, they have to demand it of parents that they need to see that the home is a place of harmony and peace. If for no other reason than the children need to experience that kind of harmony in order to grow up to be confident people, 
to be uh, children who are self, who feel that they can express themselves and so forth and so on. Okay. And so then how then is it expected that the parents interact with the teachers as the, let's say we're talking about like a grade school teacher and then going into middle school and high school teachers even, uh, to, to complement each other then, Reb Nachum Kaplan? Well, the first and foremost thing I believe is that parents need to see that the role of the teacher is fortified in the eyes of the child, to be supportive of a teacher. If you want a child to learn from a teacher, then the child needs to feel that what I'm learning from this teacher is important, that the teacher is teaching me something which is truthful and honest, and that it will impact my life as well. If you come back home, if a child comes back home and the parent says, well, that's all you learned today, big deal. Okay, that's not so important. And the message to the child is what you're doing in school is of secondary importance. What you're doing elsewhere is more important. That's the first role, and probably one of the most important roles that uh, a parent has in interacting with teachers. A. B. Every parent needs to be able to find ways to reinforce that which is being taught in school. It doesn't mean to ask a child to say, what, what did you learn in school? And let me see whether or not you actually assimilated those things. That's not the issue. The issue is to be able to follow up the kinds of personal and, and, and uh, character-building things that the child is learning in school and to see that that's reinforced at home as well. That way, both home and school are like two parallel tracks upon which a child can ride into his future. Okay, fascinating. Okay, our guest today is Rabbi Nachum Kaplan. He's a world-renowned educator. has written a book called The Education Imperative Guidance to Parents and Educators. Okay, so you have been involved with education in various capacities for, I would say, probably more than 50 years at this point. What what was your impetus in putting this book together, Education Imperative, Nahum? Well, one of them was COVID. I was at home for a couple of months and not been going into the office other than something on my computer. I figured I, I needed to do something constructive. And one of the things that in the back of my mind I always had was that we needed to write something in, in which so the parents and teachers are able to to see what their views were with regard to uh, a myriad of educational issues. So when I had the time, I used the time and the opportunity to write something that I've been thinking about for a very long time. It, it needed, I think it needed to be done by somebody. And because I had the time then, I did it. Okay, interesting. So when you were writing it, who were you thinking that would be the, the beneficiaries of this, this work, Education Imperative? Well, the ultimate beneficiaries, I hope, are going to be children. If parents and teachers will be on the same page with children, then the children are the ones who are beneficiaries. The parents benefit from it. If you want to familiarize yourself with the Rebbe's ideas about various aspects within the child's upbringing, they're pretty clear. Those things that Rebbe spoke about, they're pretty clear, and I think written in language that most people can understand. Um, and the same thing is true for teachers. There are things outside of the classroom. If a teacher is puzzled as to what uh, the parents' role ought to be, how they need to interact, there's a good deal of guidance there from there about that as well. Okay, so let's talk about then. So how did you go about doing it? What was your 
your your thinking and putting first together an outline, and then the, the research and the, 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 the like. I jokingly said it before, but how did you limit your research of what the Lubavitcher Rebbe said about in education into only I'm looking how many pages into two hundred and three hundred and eighty three hundred and fifty pages. Yeah, yeah how, how did you li- limit it into that? Just that. You're right. The limitation is probably limiting myself. Probably was one of the more more difficult things. Uh, I had to look through the, many of the Rebbe's writings, uh, including uh, his the sikhas, the talks that he gave, lectures, uh, and writings, the letters that he actually wrote himself, and to try to find a common thread throughout some of them with regard to various issues. So it, it means first researching and putting things into index cards and seeing what the Rebbe said and finding the common thread and then trying to pull them together. And uh, to, to write something about each issue, I, I have um, a general commentary that uh, accompanies the various issues that are being discussed. Uh, that was the last part of it, putting a commentary together. Okay. And uh, so just discuss the, the format. You have it broken up into sections. If you could discuss the, the different sections without going into great detail, but just the overview of the sections of the book. Education imperative, Nachum Kaplan. Well, depending upon the stages of education, you want to particularly hone in on one area or another. There's a section, for example, that deals with the various stages of of a child's upbringing, and so parents will look at that. And then there's a section on schools and and, and teachers and how parents and teachers need to interact. So teachers will look at that. There are things that are exclusive to parents about the upbringing of the general upbringing of children from the very earliest stages. What's the important, what are important things? What are the things that are negligible? So there's a section on that. Um, once I had all the ideas together, I divided up into sections and from the sections and into um, the various uh, ideas that they had to put forth. And I have in each one of the sections of the ideas, I have uh, between three and a half a dozen quotes, and then a running commentary on those quotes to put them into perspective. Okay, interesting. So so a person who has uh, very young children would be able to just pick this off the shelf, but you said education is ongoing, so all my kids are out of the house. And like when people ask me, well, how's your family? I say, Baruch Hashem, they're all out of the house, and they're not asking me for money. So the... Um, I find that hard to believe. <laughs> well, I will tell you a cute story. We have a running deal in my family that any of my kids who complete all 49 days of counting the Sephira get a small Slurpee. So I did there give, you are. I give, there give you my are. kids money. I had to, since they're out of the house, I had to sell them the $1.49 for the small Slurpee. Yes. <laughs> Small Slurpee. Okay. Small Slurpee, yes, of course. Yeah. We're, we're uh, health food people, so, <laughs> so we don't give them big ones. Anyway, <laughs> so my youngest is 28. Um, uh, just generally because, okay, so I'm a big fan of the teachings of the Lubavitcher Rebbe and would buy this just for that, but um, Joe, Joe Parent, whose kids are older, what are they getting out of education imperative, Nahum Kaplan? To get a view of education that may enlighten them as to what education really is all about, that their role in education is as important, if not more so, than that of the school. 
how they can help the school, how the, ch- the children are able to learn from both parent and school simultaneously and come up better and stronger for it. Um, I'm trying to see, and hopefully it will be somewhat successful, that as many young parents get a hold of the book as possible, because I think it will strengthen their educational skills, the skills of being able to deal with their children as parents, and how they need to deal with their children's formal instructors in school and the teachers. Okay, that's awesome. Um, this, is, this is just about wrapping it up. The uh, I'll just kind of give it a quick preview if there's any other questions. But I, anything else that you'd like to add? I've asked all of my questions, and this has been very fascinating. Uh, I think it's important to know that the role of a parent is not just to be honest and truthful to yourself. But the role of a parent is to see that the, the child understands why the parent is doing X, Y, and Z. A parent can be doing some wonderful things, and the child quizzically looks at the parent and says, what in the world are you trying to do, and what are you trying to teach me? It's a good idea for parents to say, I had a number of things and options that I could have taken them. I chose this one because this one does X, Y, and Z for me. Point out to children, not just you know, say, look look at look at my behaviors and try to emulate them, but actually point out why certain decisions were made and how these decisions uh, will impact both the parent and potentially the child as well. Okay, cool. Okay, so how do people get a hold of the education imperative guidance to parents and educators is gleaned from the teachings of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, Rav Nachum Kaplan? Um. You can get online at chinuchoffice.org, uh, C-H-I-N-U-C-H, office, O-F-F-I-C-E.org. Um, there's also a, a website which is specific to the book. Um, frankly, I don't, I don't remember it offhand. Okay, so you're, I'm you're, really you're, not doing the sales. Your, your, your publisher actually, the your, your publisher yeah. contacted me. He said, make sure he mentions that the book is available on rebbeoneducation.com. Oh, there, you so there you are, and I'm assuming it's Amazon wherever you get your fine jewelry. Well, so our guest today is, has been Rabbi Nachman Kaplan, who is a uh, foremost educator, been involved with Jewish education for more than 50 years, has written a book, The Education Imperative. We want to thank you so much for coming on and elucidating this wonderful work, Rabbi Nachman. Thank you very much. Thank you, Rabbi Okay, so, I'm very appreciative, and... Uh, I wish you good luck. Thank you. And you a happy Shabbat Shalom. Take care. Okay, we're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. Want assurance of quality and excellence in kosher? Look for the Michigan K on the label. What's it look like? The Lower Peninsula of Michigan with a K. It's the symbol of the Michigan Kosher Supervisors. Go to their website, mycosup.com. That's M-I for Michigan, K-O for kosher, and S-U-P for supervisors, mycosup.com, and find this month's featured products. You'll find Michigan K products wherever fine food is sold, especially at Natural Food Patch on West Nine Mile Road in Ferndale. Hey, Shulfin, here you're listening to the Jewish Hour. Up, this is coming up for your listening pleasure. The first time we have played something with some instruments behind the singing in six weeks. This is Barak Levine and Shmuley Unger, no strangers to the Jewish Hour airwaves. The song is called Zehakotin, which is said by a, uh, the bris ceremony. 
um, which the, the circumcision of circumcision, which means this child should grow up and, and grow to Torah, Chuppah, and Maisim Tovim and good deeds. And we're playing it just for you. We all know there's an opiate epidemic, but Advanced Rapid Detox has a solution for people addicted to pain pills, heroin, and dependent on Suboxone and Methadone. Advanced Rapid Detox performs detox under sedation in the hospital. Patients sleep through withdrawals and wake up without cravings. Dr. Julia Aronoff and the staff at Advanced Rapid Detox help people restore their lives and the lives of their families. Addiction affects everyone, even in the Jewish community and Advanced Rapid Detox is there to help. Call 800-603-1813. That's 800-603-1813. Or 
at 800-603-1813 or visit them online at www.advancedrapiddetox.com. Herschel Simon here. You're listening to The Jewish Hour. The next two songs are by newer Israeli artists that have come across the desk of the Jewish Hour music department. This one is somebody, his name is Moshe, but he calls himself Moshe, which is kind of cute. I haven't heard, you know, hey, Moshe. Anyway, uh, so it's Moshe Ben-Ari is the first one, and Avi, Avi Ravav is the second artist, and it's called Mehera Nalavo. He's going to come really quick, referring to the Messiah. אין יותר זמן להמשיך ולפגוע מלאכים שמסתכלים עלינו מגבוה העולם בשאלו ולא עוצר מלכת אז תפתח שתעבור תביא פה את הסדר מהרינה לבוא Oh, he's going to come really quickly. This next song 
is by a group called Hisnari, which means uh, arousal or something to that effect, or awakening would probably be a better tune. And it's called Lahakas Kanfe Ruach, to take us on the wings of angels, or wings of eagles. Shema Allah 
Why go to a hospital to get healthy? At Encompass Healthcare, you get the state-of-the-art wound care like in a hospital. The same medicines, the same everything without being in a hospital. Why put yourself at risk of getting a hospital-borne infection? Did you know that last year, one in six people died in America because of infections they got in hospitals? Encompass Healthcare is an outpatient facility. That means you get your wound care treatment and then go home. There are no wait times at Encompass Healthcare like in ERs. Healthcare is personal and works better, faster, and easier. Encompass Healthcare provides a state-of-the-art outpatient facility close to where you live. Call 248-624-9800. That's 624-9800. Auto accident, workman's comp, and most insurance is accepted. Encompass Healthcare's goal is to get you healthy with as little disturbance to your daily activities. Call 248-624-9800. Herschel Finman, here you are listening to the Jewish Hour. The portion of the week is the portion of Nasso. It is found in the book of Numbers, chapter 5. The portion is divided into... A couple of sections. There's different things. The first part, talk, which we're going to focus on, talks about assigning uh, jobs in the uh, maintenance of the sanctuary in the desert. And seems like it was only relevant for then, but we'll talk about that. And then there's some things about uh, where you can slaughter sacrifices. And then there's the laws of the suspect adulterous woman, the Nazarite. And finally, the dedication of the altar on the first day of Nisan, uh, approximately a year after the Jews left Egypt. The portion is specifically called Nasai. The word Nasai means to appoint, but it also means to uplift. As in the expression, Yisa es necha, lift up your eyes. So the idea that being that when the Levites were appointed to their various jobs in dismantling and erecting the sanctuary in the desert, they were on an uplifted mission from the Almighty. There's an interesting thing that we read about this. This is something that happened 35 330 years and change ago and has yet to be replicated. There's no need to replicate it because with as soon as the Jews crossed into the desert, into uh, Israel, they uh, put the sanctuary away. They built temples and those temples didn't need to be uh, dismantled and erected <laughs> on any, any time. Once they were up, they were up. So what are we learning from this section of the Bible? Based on the principle that the word Torah, the Hebrew word for the Bible, is rooted in the word lesson, something it's going to teach us. It's going to make us a better person, like we had at the beginning of the show, that you take any lesson that you learn, however arcane or mundane or esoteric it may be, and bring it into practical life. Before the giving of the Torah, the Jews were appointed. Moses came down from Mount Sinai and said, guess what God just told me? He said, the Jews are a nation of priests, a holy nation. 
And with that became the responsibility of the Jewish people. For what purpose? For uplifting. Not ourselves, the world around us. It would just be ourselves, be insular and not affect the world around us, then (laughs) how much effect in the world could we have? Jews amount to 16, 17 million people on the entire planet of close to 8 billion people now. So how much effect could that be if we're just looking at our own? But rather, it's nasoi, it's yiso, it's pick up, elevate, as rosh, the head. That it's the responsibility of all of us to uplift and appoint and dedicate ourselves to making the world a better place. Speaking of better places... If you'd like to get in touch with me, the way to do that would be by going to my website. And if you're listening to the show at RabbiFinman.com, you can wait till the end of the podcast. And if you're wondering, if you're listening on Rabbi Finman, and for some reason that's giving you some kind of problem because of the area which you're in, well, Rabbi Finman is available wherever podcasts are parked. We're talking about iTunes and Apple Tunes and Odyssey Radio and iHeartRadio and Radio.com and uh, uh, Stitcher. And I don't even know else where people listen to their podcasts, but it's all, they're all, wherever, you, whatever it happens to be, you want to listen to it, it's right there. So you can take us to the Jewish Hour with you, and it's archived many, <laughs> many years worth. You can just, uh, if you're traveling a long distance, Take Jewish hour with you. There's always, uh, we hope to make it, as we say, entertaining and educational. So it's not just uh, n- n- white noise in the back of the car to to, uh, to cover over road noise. So at the Jewish, at RabbiFinman.com, you'll also find archived editions of uh, the show. You'll find archived editions of other ways in which we make Judaism entertaining and educational. And also the very important donations page. This week will be coming into June. As we're recording this, it's still May, but in the middle of the week, it becomes June, which means we have another month to pay, and we're still working on April. May didn't come in so good, so we're counting on you folks. We have been on air doing this 29 years. Interesting. We started in in 1994 as a... uh, as a whim, as a challenge by somebody, one of my students, who had a uh, radio show on a different station and uh, said, hey, we got time. Uh, there's an open time, and you can take it if you want. And I went and I spoke to the people, and I said, let me see if I can line up some sponsors. And we lined up sponsors, and that time we were primarily sponsor-driven. And over the years, we have become listener-driven, and listeners like you. So And it's actually worked out quite for the better. We have some sponsors, but the majority is paid for by our listeners. So you can go to RabbiFinman.com and you can uh, make your donation to keep Jewish radio worthy or worth listening to on your listening device. 
You can do that uh, through PayPal. You can do it through dropping us a check if people still have checks to 1725 Pinecrest Drive, Ferndale, Michigan. Speaking of 1725 Pinecrest, that's the home of Jewish Ferndale. So we'll be uh, June 8th is the next installment of our visiting the city of Tzfat, and it will be done by our own Hannah Finman, who will be explaining the Cosmic Cube, which is an art installation that she has made, and also giving a tour of the various pieces of art which now adorn Jewish Ferndale and the backstory behind each one and the relevance of each one. Fascinating. That will be June 8th at 7.30. There's no charge for that. And, of course, light refreshments will be served. And they started also now a monthly women's circle. For that one, you have to be a woman because it's the woman's circle or identify as a woman. And uh, that's going to be on June 12th. That's led together by Hannah and Ivy Abram, who is a trained coach. And they'll be discussing various things. And you can contact us at the Jewish Ferndale website or look it for us on Facebook or Instagram. Okay, we have a story. This one I heard in correlation to Shavuos. It's a Shavuos story. In the city of Lubavitch, during the times of the Tzemach Tzedek, the third Lubavitcher Rebbe, who was Rebbe from 1827, maybe 28, till 18, till his passing in 1864. His Hasidim, his followers, numbered close to a million. And they would converge on this, even to say town, of it was a village of Lubavitch for like the holiday seasons. So there were people needed places to stay. So there was developed a whole series of inns where people stayed. And since there were so many people, so the, uh, the cheaper inns were located in the outskirts in the environs. If you want to stay downtown, Hey, it's going to cost more, less walking. So there was one innkeeper who his name was mayor. I do not know his last name who had such an inn on the outskirts and uh, made a comfortable living until 1864. The third Lubavitch passed away. He had seven sons. Six of them became Rebbe's in different cities. And so this millions of Hasidim was now divided into six. Okay, so uh, six goes into a million, uh, 166,000 times. So it's still quite a quite a following, but not everybody came every week. Not everybody came every yomtiv. So this innkeeper, who's now on the outer ring, was basically starving. It came one year, the holiday of Shavuos, and he had not had a guest for weeks. Understood, people will come for Pesach. And uh, since they came for, for the Passover holiday, they didn't feel a need to come back so fast. So it was always a slower time. We have a million people that are coming, possibly. So it's, there was always, an, there was always a, a crowd. But now there was not. It happened that the day before Shavuos, he said, we have nothing to, we have no money. So maybe I'll go into town. I'll look for some work. So he was walked past the Rebbe's house, 
the Marbi Marash, the fourth Lubavitcher Rebbe. And the Rebbe was sitting on his balcony. And he said, he yelled down the mayor, they're supposed to be mekabalis ha-Torah b'simcho like we wished everybody last week. You receive the Torah with joy and, and, and inner perceptive. You look all depressed. He said, Reb, I haven't had a guest in weeks. So the Rebbe looked out, like off to the horizon, and said, oh, today you're going to have guests. So he said, really? How many guests am I going to have? Five? He said, no, more than five. Ten? Much more than ten. Twenty? When he got up to 70, so the, the, the Rebbe Marash said, double that. He said, 150? He said, yes, you're going to have 150 guests this weekend. He said, that's great. I'll be able to live for a month on that. But he said, Rebbe, wait a minute. I, I don't have any money to buy things to feed these people. He says, the Rebbe said, reached into his pocket and threw down a few coins to him and said, you can pay me back afterwards. And then you can tell people, tell the merchants, that the Rebbe lent you money, and they'll extend you credit as well. So off he dashed, feeding people, 150 people. You're talking at least uh, six, eight meals. Okay, so you're talking a 1,000 meals he had to come up with. So he ran right away to the baker. This is how many chalos I need. He ran right away to the vegetable guy. This is everybody extended him credit, got himself a couple barrels of wine, some fine, finer li- liquor, and off he went. And then people heard that the Rebbe said he's having 150 guests. So his neighbors came and they helped and they helped prepare the meals for it. And it was getting uh, like two hours before candle lighting time, not one guest. And he said, we got to finish. We have to get everything ready for the Yom Tov. His wife was about to light candles, and there was still no guests. By this time, his friends who were helping him said, we got to go home. We, we, we can't stick around. Right as about his wife was about to light the candles to usher in the holiday, he went outside, and he saw a wagon coming to him. And the wagon driver said, could you tell us where there's an inn? It's getting close to sunset. We can't, won't be able to travel. He said, this is an inn. And he said, how many are you? He said, well, we have 10 in this wagon, and there are 14 more wagons coming. He said, I have place for all of you. I have food for all of you. Come. And by the time before the sunset, they were all settled already. That's an 18-minute period, by the way. So this is like they moved. And they had, of course, the most wonderful yontif that they could possibly have. And that night, they all traveled to, they walked to the Rebbe Shul. They davened in Lubavitch. And people were amazed that this this uh, inn suddenly had 150 guests. So you say that where's the uh, the story? What's what's really the story over here? Is it's not so much that the Rebbe was able to rush, who early in the morning said you're going to have 150 guests coming, and he guessed it right on the nose, because it's known that Sadiqim have an ability to see. The 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 uh, cons of this story, what makes this story so special, is the innkeeper accepted that that the Rebbe said as fact, and believed it was called a manas hatzadikim. Believed in what uh, this righteous person who has a connection to God was able to do, and of course, of course, they all lived happily ever after. That's going to do it for today. We hope we had a chance to entertain you a bit. We hope we had a chance to educate you a bit. We hope you have a great week. Again, you can 
look at education imperative, education, uh, Rebbe on education.com. We hope to see you back again next week. Take care. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.